Okay. Anyways, wow, this is really incredible. I'm so honored to be able to be here. First of all, my name is Rabbi Yaakov Moskowitz, and I live in North Miami Beach, which is not too far from here, about a half an hour away. Um, and um, I work with a big school down here in Miami where I do community learning. That's basically, that's my job, where we try to bring the parent body and the general community closer, closer to Torah, closer to God, closer to, uh, closer to the community. And prior, prior, to, uh, prior to moving here, we were actually living in your neck of the woods. We were living in Queens. I was living in between Kew Garden Hills and Hillcrest. On Casina and Parsons, does that sound familiar to everybody? Okay, how many people live over there? Everybody? No? Nobody. None of you live in Queens. You all live in Queens. Not Kew Garden Hills. Okay, that's all good. All right, all right, we'll forgive you. Forest Hills and Fresh Meadows. Forest Hills and Fresh Meadows. Okay, so this is right around Fresh Meadows, but okay. Uh, Very nice. And over there, I was doing uh, similar stuff to what you guys are doing. I was working in Stony Brook University. I was the campus rabbi over there. Uh, for two years, working with college students just like yourself, um, trying, to, trying to do my best to inspire, but really I think what happened was I would mostly get inspired by them, which is what uh, hopefully is going to happen, happen here today too. I have to say that I really admire everyone's self-sacrifice in coming down to this awful weather from New York, from the beauty of the 30-degree weather and the snow and the freezing cold, and coming down here, it's really like, it must have been very hard for you. It must have been very hard. What did you say? Kind of difficult. Kind of difficult task to make your way down here. I remember one of the things that pushed us over the edge to get us to move down to Miami is when it was the winter before we moved. And my car was parked right there. I remember it was right there by that Walgreens, by the Walgreens on Casino Boulevard. And I come out in the morning. I come out in the morning to get my car, and the car was frozen over. The tires were frozen over in ice. There was this like massive, uh, massive storm or whatever happened overnight, and I could not get the car out. And I remember there was a, a restaurant. I believe it was a Bukharian restaurant right over there, right over there, right near where the car was. And the guy, the owner, was so nice. He let me this this ice pick thing, this like massive ice pick thing. Melody. And uh, yes, my Melody restaurant. That's what it was. Very good. And I, what do you say? Who? Your uncle? Your your great uncle. Very nice. And wow. And uh, and that's it. Was with that I was able with my hat, my gloves, able to pull that car out somehow, some way. And I said, "That's it. We're done. <laughs> we are done. We are out of here." But um, I hope everybody's having an amazing, amazing time over here. How long were you guys down here since? Wednesday. Since Wednesday. Wednesday. Wow. Wednesday. Wednesday evening. So what did you do then? Thursday. Thursday. Friday. What'd you guys do? We've done Jet skiing? Like so, we've done so much, we're not even, we haven't been sick. <laughs> Segway, banana boating. Segway, banana boating, jet like boating. All the stuff you could do in New York. Yeah, yeah. I, I, during the winter. What? You went to Fuego. That's great. That's great stuff. Oh, that's amazing. So we went there probably Thursday night. No, we went there last night. Oh, you went there last night? Wow. Was it a party over there? We went like when we were in the kitchen. I'll try my best. So today, we're going to be talking about the following. This is the topic. It's, the topic is finding, finding, your, finding your purpose, finding your purpose, and finding your happiness. And I understand that the theme of the overall Shabbaton, the, of the overall weekend, was Jewish pride, right? Is that correct? Yeah. That's what the theme has been. Okay. 
Um, so that's what we're going to be talking about, finding your meaning and finding your happiness. We're going to start with the following. There's an Israeli, um, Israeli psychologist by the name of Tal Ben Shachar. Raise your hand if you've heard of Tal Ben Shachar. Okay, Tal Ben Shachar recently moved back to Israel, but he was working over here in Harvard University for a number of years. Tal Ben Shachar, a brilliant guy, one of the founders of the positive psychology movement. Okay, and he's one of the big people that speaks about happiness, positive psychology, living life to its fullest, that kind of stuff. So he says in the intro to one of his books, which is called Happier, he writes the following. He says that he started his career as a, um, he was like, he was working in Harvard as some type of like, uh, what do they call that? Some type of like an assistant in the college to one of the professors. What do they call that? Yeah, 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 one of those, right? And he was helping out one of the one of the professors. And after a little bit of time, they said to him, they said, you know, you know so much about happiness and you're studying this. Why don't you give a class next semester in Harvard University on happiness? He said, sure, I'm so honored. So they put his class down, happiness, and, uh, and people are signing up. There was a total of eight students that signed up for the class for that semester. Halfway through the semester, two students dropped out. So he had a total of six students, but he taught them what he knew as the basics of happiness uh, and finding happiness and etc. Six students, he had a beautiful time. The following semester, they said, you know, these students, they really enjoyed it. Let's open up the class again. Well, the second semester when they opened up the class, he didn't have six students, he didn't have 50 students, but he had 355 students signed up for the class. 355. And... He taught the same concepts again, the same concepts, and they enjoyed it, they loved it. The following semester, the following semester, they asked him to open up the class again. This time, there wasn't 355, there wasn't 500, there wasn't 700. This time, there were 850 some odd students that signed up for this class on happiness, making it the largest class in Harvard University. And he had one of those massive lecture halls that they gave him to give this class. And he says the following in the introduction to his book. This is what he writes. He says, I don't understand. This doesn't make any sense. I mean, granted, I'm probably a great, uh, you know, probably a great professor and I probably gave a great class, but why are so many people searching for happiness? And he said even more than that, this doesn't make any sense. This is Harvard University. These are such great, brilliant minds. I mean, it's not Queens College, right? But, okay, but it's Harvard University, right? The most brilliant minds, most brilliant minds in the country. People with such a promising future. Why are they, why are they searching for happiness? Why do they feel so empty that they need to join this class searching for happiness? And he writes and he continues. He says that, you know, it, the whole thing, the whole thing doesn't make any sense. If you look, if you look around the world, not just in Harvard University, but you look around our country, you look around our country and you see the rates of depression the rates of depression are terrible, okay? On a poll, he took a particular poll of college students, he said that 45% of students said that they were so depressed that they had difficulty functioning. Yet, the affluence, the wealth that we have in this country is so unbelievable. It's so unbelievable. And everybody has whatever it is that they need. So why is it that so many people were unhappy? And this is the question that he raises in the introduction to his book. You know, after, after, the, um, after the Holocaust... There was a fellow, there was a Viennese psychiatrist by the name of Viktor Frankl. Raise your hand if you've heard the name Viktor Frankl. Okay, you heard the name slightly. Okay, Viktor Frankl wrote a book called Man's Search for Meaning. And he was a Holocaust survivor, Jewish guy, who had a very, very popular practice in Vienna as a psychiatrist. Obviously, 
the, uh, the war, the war, the Holocaust took a major toll on everything, and he lost his practice, of course, and he, was, he himself was in the concentration camps, and he writes in his book about the, a lot of the trials and tribulations that took place in the, in the concentration camps and how he was helping people as a psychiatrist over there. But the point why I'm bringing him up is that he, he said that after he came to America after the war, so he put out his shingle, I believe it was in the Upper West Side in Manhattan, and he started his practice again. And some people had heard of him, and people started coming to him. And he said that he found something very interesting. He would sit down with a patient, and this is what would happen. He'd say, they'd sit down on the couch, and he'd say, what's wrong? And they'd say, I'm depressed. And he'd say, why? Is it your, is it your job? And he'd say, no, I love my job. Well, it's not your job. Is it your family? How's your marriage? Is your marriage going okay? Maybe your marriage has problems. No, my marriage is great. Maybe it's your kids. Are your kids causing you stress? No, no, it's not my kids. So then what is getting you depressed? And they would say, Doc, I have no idea. I don't know. It's not your marriage. It's not your kids. It's not your job. Do you have money? Do you have money to be able to afford the things that you do? I got plenty of money. So why are you depressed? And he said it wasn't just one person. One after the other, after the other, after the other. This was an issue that he never saw in Vienna. He only saw this here in America. He said, this is so bizarre. Why are people so depressed when they have everything? Nothing is going wrong in their life. They have everything. And this is the conclusion that Dr. Viktor Frankl came to. He said, after all of this research and all of these patients, seeing so many of them, talking to them, getting the full picture, he came to the realization that there was one common denominator behind all of them that was making them depressed, and that was the fact that they didn't have meaning. They didn't have meaning in their life. And Dr. Viktor Frankl says that this is, and this is totally coming from a psychiatric perspective. He's saying that a person without meaning is going to be depressed. A person without meaning is not going to be happy. A person without meaning, without purpose in their life, what am I doing, is bound to be depressed. In fact, in fact, there was a, um, he himself, I think he himself wrote this in a different book, that um, he took a poll of, I believe it was 66 people, 66 people that had attempted suicide, okay? 85% of them said that the reason why, the reason why they attempted suicide was because they felt that life was meaningless. They didn't have a purpose. They didn't have a meaning. So the bottom line is that if a person really wants happiness, if a person really wants fulfillment and happiness in life, then they need to have a life that's filled with meaning. And that's what Dr. Viktor Frankl said. Now, here's my question that I'm going to pose to you. And don't be shy. I want to hear if people have, people have some thoughts. I'm going to ask a philosophical question over here. Okay? Why? Why what, Rabbi? Okay, why? Why is it? That a person, why is it that what Dr. Frankel is saying is true? Why is it that without meaning, a person is not going to be happy? Like, why? Why is it that without meaning, you're not going to be happy? If you have everything, if you have money to pay your bills, and you're having a good time, and you got a great family, and you got a great job, why is it that a person without real meaning isn't going to be happy? Yeah? It's not fulfilling enough. That life is just not giving you nothing. Like, you need something to shine. 
Robbins? That's amazing. Do you listen to Tony Robbins? I'm sorry? Do you listen to Tony Robbins? No, I don't, but maybe I should. Yeah, because he, Talk to me. He, like, a lot of Jewish people also, like, listen to him. He's very inspirational. That's, like, something he says. Like, There's something he talks about. meaning is meaningless. Okay. So you're saying, because, why? Because it's just not enough. The other stuff is not enough. Amazing. What's your name, by the way? Jessica. Jessica, okay. Jessica says, because life's not enough. Yeah. Um, What's your name? Natalie. Natalie, okay. Okay, so Natalie's adding on to what Jessica's saying that it's a, that it, Jessica was saying that it's not enough, that a person is just not getting enough, and Natalie's saying that there's like something deeper, is that what you're saying? Yeah. There's something deeper that you're not hitting with the things that you currently have, I like that. What's your name? Jessica. Je- oh, this is so confusing. <laughs> okay, yeah? <laughs> was- um, I just feel like with things that are like materialistic, because like Natalie said, um, they're like short-term pleasures. There's only only so many like new exciting things you can try in this world before you like run out and suddenly the world's boring. Like okay, okay you have a mansion and then you just expand. Okay. And it's like whatever. Like okay. you get numb to it at a certain point because what you're doing is just constantly hitting yourself with dopamine. Okay. But when you like have true meaning, when it's like an existential crisis, I guess. But like you're giving your life a purpose, like. So you're not just looking for those like short-term pleasures, those constant hits of dopamine. You're working towards something. So even if you're not happy 24-7 from those short-term pleasures that you have, those moments of difficulty that you may experience or those moments of stillness, you can not only bear them, but you can turn them into something that you value because you see how they play out and what you want to do with your life or like the purpose of your life. Interesting. So because you're seeing, again, so similar to what Natalie's saying, because you are sensing something deeper and you're adding in a certain point, Jessica's adding in a certain point that there's only so much, there's only so much in the world that you can do as far as the, as far as those types of pleasures, right? There's only so much that you can accomplish, right? So there's, and, and then we just kind of run out. We need to do more. Yeah. What, you were going to say something? Oh, you going to say the same idea. Okay. Beautiful. Any other thoughts? Any other thoughts? Okay. This was all amazing. Let me tell you. I'm going to share with you some thoughts of what the Torah says about this, okay? What the Torah says. One of the great works in Jewish thought was called the Derech Hashem, okay? Derech Hashem in Hebrew means the ways of God. It was written by an Italian rabbi by the name of Rabbi Moshe Chaim Lutzato. He was a great, great rabbi, scholar, and Kabbalist in the late 1700s. And he wrote several works, and we're actually going to talk about two of his works this morning. But one of them, which is very famous, is called the Derech Hashem, the ways of God. And in that book, he says the following thing. He says that we have to understand the human being. The human being is comprised of two parts, okay? The physical and the spiritual. The physical and the spiritual. The physical means our body, that which we have, that which we have right in front of us, our physical bodies, and the spiritual is the neshama. What's the neshama? The soul. The spiritual is the soul, okay? Now the soul was given to us, the Torah tells us that the soul was given to us, and not just like this, added part of our body. The soul was given to us by God. The Torah tells us at the beginning of the Torah that God breathed the soul into Adam. It's actually a part of God. How are you? Good to see you. Great to see you as well. Wow. <laughs> Amazing stuff. This, this is awesome. I just recently sharing one of your, your Arya Lake Steinman, your, your 
Thank you. It's amazing. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. I'm honored. (laughs) Baruch Hashem. Great to see you. Thank you. (laughs) So, he says that that soul was breathed into a person, and every single individual, wasn't just Adam way back when, the first individual. No. Every single human being, all of us, has a soul. Two parts. The physical and the spiritual. That's That's what makes up every single person. Now, those two parts need to be fed. Okay? The physical needs to be fed, we know. Okay, we have to give the physical, we have to give our bodies food, give our bodies drink, give our bodies exercise, take care of our bodies. We all know about that. But we also have to take care of the soul. And we have to be able to feed that soul, which is such an, such an important part of us. It's such a very real part of us, that spiritual side. In fact, in one of his other works, which is probably the classic work on Jewish thought, it's called the Mesilat Yesharim. I saw one over there. On the counter, somebody, uh, somebody over here has one called The Path of the Just, once again written by the same rabbi, Rabbi Moshe Chaim Lutzato. He brings the following example. Listen to this. He says, could you imagine if there's a princess? A princess who, she grew up in the king's palace, so wealthy, so much honor, standing on top of the world. And she falls in love with this guy who's... who's she loves him, he's great, but he's this regular guy, a commoner. One of the regular people in the town. And this guy, he tries, he tries his best to give her, to give her a ring that's going to be nice, that she's going to appreciate. He tries his best to provide her, to offer her a wedding that's going to be so nice. But the bottom line is, he doesn't have so much money. He's just a regular guy. And he can't really provide her with a ring or with the jewels that she's used to. He can't provide her with a wedding that's elaborate that she would really expect that would be befitting for somebody like her, like a princess. And therefore, Rabbi Lutzato writes that she, this, this princess, will never, ever feel satisfied. She's never going to feel satisfied from this guy because there's nothing that he can give her that can really, really provide her with what it is that she needs what it is that she needs. In the same way when it comes to the soul, the soul, that spiritual side to all of us, which is a part of all of us, and we can't run away from it. We're going to talk a little bit more about that because what, there's, it has repercussions if we try to run away because it's very much, it's real. It's a real part of us. So that very real part of us needs to be fed. And there's nothing, nothing, nothing in the physical world that could possibly feed the soul because there are two polar opposites. The physical and the spiritual, okay? Two polar opposites. It's like this, okay? If you are, um, raise your hand, you've been to Israel. Beautiful, amazing. Emetra? Emetra, birthright. Okay, okay. Fantastic, fantastic. God willing, on the next Emet trip, everybody's going to go to Israel. When's the next Emet trip to Israel? This summer to Neveh. There it is, there it is. This summer to Neveh. Okay, so everyone's going to go. And whether you've been there, whether, you, whether you're going to go, everybody hikes up Masada. That's like a, that's a very exciting thing when you're in Israel. So you're hiking up Masada. Okay, you did that? Those who were in Israel, you hiked up Masada? Okay. You took the cable. You took the cable. It was like 99 degrees. <laughs> <laughs> I'm with you. She took the cable car. All right, all right. Next time, next time, next time you'll climb up. But the, those who have hiked up, okay, in 99 degree weather, offers them here. Here's some sushi. Sushi? What do you think they're going to say? Are you kidding me? 
I'm not interested in any sushi now. I love sushi, but I don't need sushi now. Sushi is not going to satiate me in any way whatsoever. I need water. That's what I need. If a person is walking down Casino Boulevard, okay, and there's a big puddle, there's a big puddle of water right next to them, and some car comes by and drives right through the puddle, and the puddle that has this muddy water gets all over them. Ugh, gross. That person desperately needs a shower. If somebody comes over and offers them a nice cold Snapple, that's not going to help you. That's not going to help you because what you need right now is a shower. The person climbing on the sato, what they need is a drink. If you provide them with something else, that's not going to help them. Every single individual has a soul. That soul needs to be fed that which actually satiates the soul. And what is it that satiates the soul? Anybody know? Amazing. Amazing. Beautiful. Natalie said exactly what she said before. This hits exactly what you said before. Learning, growing, meaning, bringing meaning to my life, connecting to God, connecting to my spiritual sense, feeding my soul, doing things that are good for my life in this world and for my life in the after, in the after world, which is a whole other discussion. All of that is what gives me is what gives me meaning. And like Jessica was saying before, you can, you can try all the pleasures in the world. You can try all the pleasures in the world. But guess what? One after the other after the other, while they may be fun and they be momentary pleasure, but they're not satiating the soul. They're satiating the physical. They're not satiating the soul. Without satiating the soul, then our soul is going to be empty and our soul is going to be crying out and screaming, feed me, feed me. And that's what all these people are feeling. All the people that are depressed, all those people, all those 856 students that signed up for Talbot Shachar's class in Harvard University, searching for happiness because all of them are looking for deeper meaning, for deeper understanding. There's an amazing story. There's an amazing story told over about a guy by the name of Alfred Nobel. Alfred Nobel lived in the, eight, in the late 1800s, 1860-something, okay? Um, and he was one of the wealthiest men in the country. Alfred Nobel invented dynamite, okay? He invented dynamite. He had over 355 patents in dynamite, explosives. He was the one who would provide countries with explosives for war. And he had over 100 factories where people working very, very wealthy on his dynamite, and then, one day, the following very interesting thing happened. It was, I believe, in 1880-something or other. I don't remember exactly the year. Alfred Nobel wakes up in the morning, and he gets the morning paper, and he's going through the morning paper, and he gets to the obituary section of the paper, where they have like that write-up about the people who have died that week. And he sees that there's an obituary, there's a write-up about none other than Alfred Nobel. He says, what? I'm Alfred Nobel. And he's looking at the paper and they have a picture of him saying that he's dead. He said, what? Is this some kind of a crazy dream? And he starts pinching himself. What? Am I alive? Am I dead? What's going on? This is crazy. He doesn't know what's happening. He starts reading through the obituary. And the obituary says, Alfred Nobel was a terrible person. He was a merchant of death who made his money, who made his wealth, by creating things that kill, by creating these items, these explosives that mutilate, that mutilate and kill other people and are only good for war. That was Alfred Nobel. This is what he reads in the obituary. And he realized very quickly what happened. 
Because I am alive. This is not a crazy dream. But his brother Ludwig had passed away not too long before. And the paper messed up. The paper messed up. And they thought Alfred died. And they thought Alfred died. So they put his picture in the paper and wrote up about him. But he had the opportunity, unique opportunity, to read his own obituary. And this is what they said. He, and he said, this is what they're going to say about me? This is what my life is about? This is what I've accomplished in my life? That I'm being called a merchant of death? That's what I did? That, that was, wow, this is what I lived life for. And he felt this deep punch, like a deep punch within himself, within his gut, like, whoa, this is not good. I need to accomplish in life. I need to do something. And right then and there, Alfred Nobel pulled out his will and he made a decision. He said, I am going to donate a large chunk of my wealth, which they say, this is back in the 1800s, they say that that amount that he, that he gave then um, would be equivalent now to about $250 million dollars. He said, I'm going to dedicate this $250 million to create a prize that's going to be given out in the world to create actually five prizes that are going to be given out in the world every single year to people who accomplish something amazing, to people who actually, um, to actually bring peace to the world, to people who actually provide something amazing for the world. And that prize, as you guys know, is called the Nobel Prize because it's named after Alfred Nobel, who did exactly this. He felt like he was missing something. He saw his own obituary. My life is meaningless. My life is not accomplishing. Look at what I did. And he felt this need that I have to do something, and he did it right away. Because we have this need, we have to be able, we have to be able to, um, to be able to fill that spiritual side of us. You know, I saw an amazing quote I want to share with you. Amazing, well, listen to this. This was a quote said over, I don't know by who, but it's by an individual who converted to Judaism. Okay? And this is what the individual writes. Listen to this. Being Jewish has given me happiness. Not the ephemeral momentary kind which passes swiftly, leaving an empty feeling. The happiness that comes with Jewish living has to do with serenity of the soul. Wholeness. Satisfaction at the deepest level. That's exactly what we're saying. David HaMelech, King David, said the following line. He said, That the ways of Hashem, the ways of God, are righteous, are proper. Those ways make a person's heart happy. They bring happiness to an individual. When a person takes on the ways of God, which is the ways of Torah, which is the Jewish way, exactly like this person who converted to Judaism is saying, they take that on, they take on the Torah ways to be able to live a life of real fulfillment, to be able to live a life of spirituality, a life of growth, like it was said before over here, a life of meaning and a life of purpose, then that individual is really going to feel happiness. It's really going to feel happiness. You know, they did a study, listen to this, they did a study in the University of British Columbia where they handed out, um, they handed out envelopes. And in the envelopes, there was cash. They handed them out to the college students in the university. 
And they said the following thing to the sample of students. They said, what I want you to do is by the end of the day, you have to spend the money that's in the en- this envelope. And there were varied amounts for different people. They said, you have to spend the money that's in this envelope. Now you have two options. You could spend the money on yourself for anything that you need. Anything that you need for that day. Or you could spend the money on somebody else. Spend the money on yourself or spend the money on somebody else to provide, to give a gift to somebody, to help out somebody in need. And they found something unbelievable. That at the end of the day, they did a, uh, they did a follow-up on all of the people and they evaluated their levels of happiness beforehand and they evaluated their levels of happiness afterwards. And you know what they found? That the people who spent the money on themselves, not that there's anything wrong with spending money on yourself, Okay, I just spent a lot of money on myself. Oh man, right? <laughs> that was a lot. But you right, we spend money on ourselves, and we have to do that. But they found that those people didn't experience any more happiness. But the people who spent the money on somebody else to give to somebody else to help somebody else to do a chesed to do a kindness for another individual, those people actually experienced more happiness within themselves after doing that because they were tapping into the spiritual side, because they were tapping into a greater thing and helping somebody else out, giving to somebody, being able to provide for another individual. They were able to tap into that. They were able to tap into their, okay, where he learned, he was a, um, uh, Kibi Bernhard made a lot of money in the diamond industry, okay? He was a very successful businessman. And he learned a lot, of his, uh, a lot of his business tactics from the ways of the leopard. So he wrote a book based on how the leopard, uh, how the leopard acts and being able to, uh, to, to give over his business tactics to other people. And he became a very, very popular, uh, very popular book. And he, in turn, became a very popular speaker talking at different businesses, etc., um, being able to help them up their game as far as their business practices. Very popular. Well, he gets a call. He gets a call from none other than Microsoft, none other than Microsoft, telling him that they're having a major conference and they would like him to be the keynote speaker. That's huge. Keynote speaker from Microsoft? That's incredible. That's incredible. That's almost as good as being the keynote speaker for Emmett. Mm-hmm. That's almost, right? Which would you rather, okay? That's, that's huge, huge. So, they're talking about it. He tells them the price, etc. But then they, they get to the date when, the, uh, when the, the event is supposed to take place at this conference, and it's going to take place on a Saturday, on Shabbat. And Kivi said, oh, I didn't realize this is taking place on Shabbat, on, Shabbat, on Saturday. That's my Sabbath. I don't, I don't do any work on my Sabbath. I'm sorry. I'm not going to be able to accept this. And they said, what, are you crazy? This is the opportunity of a lifetime. So the guy who was on the other phone, the executive from Microsoft, he, he assumed that this must be a matter of money. So he said, you know what? Whatever your fee is, I'm going to offer you double. And Kitty said, no, no, it, it's not about money. It, it's my Sabbath. I, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do this on my Sabbath. I'm sorry. Saturday. can't do it. And he goes, what? No, no, no. It must be about money. I'll offer you triple. I'll offer you triple. The way that it didn't tell in the story the exact number that they offered him, but they said that that number could very well be a full-time salary for all year for what many people make. Okay? What he was being offered, that triple the amount to speak at this Microsoft thing on Saturday. And Kiwi said, no. He said, you don't understand. He said, this is not about money. It's about a very special and holy day. The Sabbath is a day where I connect to God. The Sabbath is a day where I connect to my values. I connect to my family, where I have so much purpose. And that's what brings the purpose and the meaning into my life. I, I, I can't do it, no. And he said, no. Now, you can imagine that, Ke- listen, Kiwi Bernhardt, amazing spiritual person, but at the same time, 
he was going back and forth about this, right? Oh my gosh, did I make the wrong decision? Uh, and then they called him back and they said, you know what? We so desperately want you to speak. We understand it's your Sabbath. We made a bunch of phone calls and we realized that we could switch the conference from Saturday to Sunday with an incredible amount of work and it's going to cost us, Microsoft, a ton of money. But we're able to switch the conference because we want you to be the keynote speaker and they switched the entire conference from Saturday to Sunday to be able to accommodate Kiwi Bernhardt and he went there and he spoke as the keynote speaker at the Microsoft conference and it was incredible speech. After the conference, the next day he gets a phone call from this executive, the, fa- the, uh, the fellow who had called him originally, he said, I want to tell you what happened. After the conference, I was on Bill Gates' private jet flying home with him. And I was relaying over to him what happened, how this whole interesting thing with this fellow Kiwi, Bert, with this fellow Kiwi who was supposed to speak, and he, he, he didn't want to speak because of the Sabbath, and we offered him so much money, and he didn't, you know, and it didn't matter to him. It's so weird, so bizarre. And Bill Gates, who's not Jewish, Bill Gates looks at the executive and he said the following. He said, it makes a lot of sense. He said, because that's what happens. That's what happens when you have something that money cannot buy. When you have something like the Sabbath and you have that in your life and you're able to tap into that, that is something that money cannot buy because that transcends something so much greater. Bill Gates, who is not Jewish, was able to realize and recognize this so clearly. And this is the message that we have to take, that our, our Torah, our Judaism, our Jewish pride is what is going to bring us real meaning, as Viktor Frankl said, and it's what's going to bring us real, true happiness in life. It transcends any money. It transcends any physical pleasures, like you said before, that we could do. Because it's feeding that soul that is screaming out inside of us, saying that I want, I want, I want, I so desperately want more. And we provide our souls with that, with giving to others, with tapping into our prayer, with experiencing Shabbat, which I would assume that over this past Shabbat, I I, I would... Not looking for hands here, but I would assume that every single person here, I, 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 like it's, it's for sure, every single person here must be at some point over the Shabbat, must have felt, must have felt that feeling. That feeling that, that's not tangible. You can't like, you can't, you know, put something on it. You can't explain it, but it's, it's there. It's there. That feeling. And we experience that feeling every time we have a Shabbat, even more, if it's an Emmet Shabbat. That's for sure. But that feeling, that's the feeling. That feeling that we all experience, that's the feeling. It's the feeling with Shabbat. It's the feeling with studying Torah. It's the feeling with giving to others. All of that. All of that. That's how we're going to provide ourselves with meaning, with happiness in life. And so, God willing, all of us should take the message, take the message, please. Take the message that all of the leaders of this Weekend are giving to you. Take the message that Emmett has given you. Study from everybody, from Rabbi Kraft. Please send him my regards, by the way. But from all of these people, to send, take these messages because that is what is going to provide us with the real meaning, the real happiness in life. So, so ultimately, we can live truly fulfilling lives. I wish everybody 
a beautiful rest of the trip and a beautiful rest of the year. You should all continue, continue to grow in these amazing ways. Okay, so any last questions? Comments? Arguments? <laughs> you will. My pleasure. My pleasure. <laughs> my pleasure. My pleasure.